Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Good morning. I'm going to read through uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 16. Uh, The words will be up on the screen behind me. Um, You can follow along in your own Bible or app if you wish as well. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick up some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called to his disciples and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Well, it's so good to worship with you this morning, and uh, I have to tell you that sometimes, for me, even the most basic instructions are, are difficult for me to follow. I have to read things over and over and over again, especially if I'm doing something that requires uh, building something uh, or making something, even things like baking. Anybody like to, to bake or cook food? Uh, I like to do simple things. If I can throw a hamburger on a grill and flip it over, that's really easy for me. If it has steps and processes to it, making a cake or a dessert or something, I have a hard time keeping the the instructions and the directions in my mind. I have to read it over and over and over again, no matter how simple it is. It's like, was that one egg or two? And I constantly, cooking with me has to be the worst thing for my wife uh, because I will ask her over and over again, like, what's the oven temperature supposed to be set at? Uh, what, what ingredients are supposed to go in here? You know, like it's just over and over constant. How many, how many things do we put into this mix? Like it's just a constant trying to figure out and remember what the instructions are. And finally, she'll just say, just read the instructions again, do it again. Like you, I know you've done it, but do it again. And the reason I say some of this this morning is because when it comes to our relationship with Jesus and the things that he teaches, Sometimes Jesus will give us what looks and seems like such simplistic teachings, but we don't quite get them. They can be difficult for us to put into practice no matter how simplistic they are 
in what he delivers and says. So we have to go back over and over and over again to the instructions, the word of God, and go back and say, I know it was simple, but what did he say? How do I live that out? So that's where we're going to find ourselves this morning as we look into this next passage. Just a few minutes ago, Nelson read for us from Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 16. And one of the most important aspects of that passage is that Jesus purposefully chooses his 12 disciples. Luke even says they were designated as apostles. These are going to be the people who follow Jesus throughout the rest of his ministry. But if you noticed, Jesus went up onto a mountainside and spent a full night in prayer. We, he probably fasted through the night as he prayed. We're in a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church right now. Jesus did this regularly, especially when he was making big decisions. And this decision and choice to choose his 12 disciples to follow him was coming up the next day. And so what we don't often get is that Jesus chose these 12 from among, among a large group of disciples. Sometimes our perception is, is that Jesus just had 12 guys who followed him wherever he went. But the reality is, is that Jesus had a lot of followers. He had a lot of people who called themselves his disciples, but he chose 12 from among the bigger crowd to come and follow him. And then what we find for them, and remembering what our definition is of a disciple, is that a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, and who's on mission with Jesus. And those are the characteristics that will shape the lives of these 12 men for the rest of their life. And they're meant to shape our lives as well, that we follow him, that we're being changed by him over and over and over again throughout our lives until we look like Jesus more and more. And then that we're on mission with him. We're doing the things that he calls us to do. So with that being said, when Jesus has chosen his 12 primary disciples, we now pick up our journey through Luke. And we're going to look first at Luke 6, 17 through 19, just picking up the next part of the story. And it says he went down with them and he stood on a level place. Remember, they had been on the mountainside. Now they go to a level place or a plain and a large crowd of his disciples were there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. And so what we find here, Jesus left that mountain where he had spent the night in prayer. He called his 12 disciples, and then he goes down to this level area or a plain at the bottom side of this mountain. And it says that there are people who are coming from all over the region. Luke even describes that there are people coming from Tyre and Sidon. These are Gentile regions outside of Israel. And so he's saying that there are people from all over. The word about Jesus, as we're getting into chapter 6 now of Luke's gospel, the word about Jesus and his teaching and his healings has gone gotten out to the public and people are flocking to Jesus. He's got a large number of disciples and he's got crowds that come to him. And in the middle of the crowds, Jesus is teaching them, but he's also healing people. And Luke tells us that Jesus doesn't even have to touch them or speak it over them, that they can just reach out and touch him. And power is coming out of him to heal. Jesus has incredible power to heal us. And so as we see this, all of those things are amazing. The scene that we look at is amazing, but I want you to notice what happens next. Because Jesus is going to turn from the crowds and he's going to specifically address 
his disciples, those who are following him. Whether that's just the 12 or the larger group of disciples, I'm not 100% sure, but the Bible says that he turned to his disciples and he was going to teach them. Jesus has called those that he wants to be his 12, but before he sends them out to do any ministry or to be engaged in kingdom pursuits, he wants to teach them what his kingdom is like. And the reason for that is really simple. Because when we think about following Jesus and being changed by Jesus and being on mission with Jesus, you want to be on mission doing the right things. And so Jesus takes time to teach them, and here's why. Because the way that Jesus does things, the teachings of Jesus, his kingdom, are upside down from our normal understanding of life. The things of Jesus are so countercultural to what we would just naturally do and gravitate toward. It's upside down from our normal way of life and thinking. So before Jesus gives his followers ministry to do, he spends some time teaching them about what life in his kingdom looks like. Now, here's what's fascinating. Again, this teaching is so simplistic, but it is so difficult to live out parts of it. And so I want us to look this morning at this passage. And when we read it in just a second, there's a chance you're going to go, man, that sounds really familiar, but I don't remember that being in Luke. And the truth is, this sounds much like what we know as Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. It's the most uh, well-known teaching and most famous teaching of Jesus in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 5 through 7, we have recorded the Sermon on the Mount. Luke records a variation of that. But it's not exactly the same. And so here's how I think about this when it comes to the Gospels and when you go, why is that different and how is it a little bit not the same as exactly what Matthew said? Jesus is a traveling pastor, a traveling minister. And I think about this, a lot of the similarities of a a politician who's running for office. When they go from city to city, town to town, and they give the same speech, but they might change it up just a little bit depending on who their audience is or where they are or, or what's happened the night before that's changed something from the last time they gave the speech. Jesus goes from region to region, town to town, city to city, and he speaks very similar messages wherever he goes. So when you read Matthew's gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, and then you read Luke's gospel, which is sometimes known as the Sermon on the Plain, he's come off of the mountain to a level place, he's on a plain, that the Sermon on the Plain mirrors the Sermon on the Mount. They're not exact, but they mirror one another. And so with that in mind, I want us to see what Jesus is going to say. And here's how I want us to approach the text this morning as we really read through this. I want to give you four things to be thinking about as we approach this. Number one, I want you just to listen to the teaching of Jesus for his followers. Because this was a teaching to his disciples, if you're a disciple, this is a teaching for you. So just listen, absorb it. Number two, ask what challenged you as we read it. What are the things here that challenge you that you go, oh man, I I needed to hear that or I needed to be challenged by that. Number three, ask what convicted you. Are there things that Jesus says that when you look at your life and you look at his teachings, they don't match up? And you need to ask, what convicts me that I need to change in order to align myself with Jesus' teachings? And then number four, read the message again on your own this week. If the only time you get teaching from God's word is on Sunday morning, 
it would go back to my illustration of cooking or baking earlier. Imagine somebody at the beginning of the week telling you, here's the ingredients that you're going to need to cook something. Here's the temperature. Here's how you do this. Here's how you mix it together. Here's all the things. And they tell you on the first day of the week. And then you never think about it again until Saturday when it's time for you to actually make that thing. And then you have to start thinking in your mind, oh, what did they say? What's the process? How do you put the ingredients together? What was the oven supposed to be set to? How long do you cook it? If you don't keep it fresh in your mind over and over and over again through the week, you forget The word of God is a lot like that, that we need to be constantly putting ourselves in front of the word of God and reading it for ourselves. Don't just hear this passage this morning and then forget about it. Come back to it throughout the week. Now, with that said, I want us to spend some time reading Luke chapter six, verses 20 through 49. It's a lengthy passage, but this is Jesus's message to us this morning. So listen, ask the questions, and then come back to it throughout the week. Here we go. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets." But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For you, the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And he also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. 
Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation at all. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Now, Jesus teaches this full thing, this full message, and then we're not told that he says anything else in response. He just walks away. Somebody on our sermon team meeting planning time this past week said, hey, you know that there's like eight or 10 messages in this passage that you could preach from, right? Like, how are you going to do this all in one setting? And I said, well, easy. Jesus did. And I'm at least as good as Jesus is teaching, right? Like, no, that's not true. Uh, Jesus just said these things and then left. He just meant for the people to hear them and to wrestle with them and to take them into their hearts and to think about them and to go back and ponder them deeply and to wrestle with, are we doing what Jesus said? Jesus didn't give greater commentary to these things. He just said, this is what I want you to understand about the kingdom. But when Jesus ends the message, he says, hey, I want to know something. Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, but then you don't do what I say? In other words, how can you call me your Lord and your Savior and your Master, and you say that you're listening, but you don't put into practice these things? Because it's like this, and he uses the illustration of the parable. It's like two men who build a house. One builds on a foundation, digs deep into the earth, finds bedrock and plants a foundation for his house and then builds up from there. And when the storms come, nothing can shake that house. It is unshakable. But the other guy who just goes, well, this looks like a good place to build a house. I'll start right here. And he just builds it on the ground with no foundation, no firm, solid footing. And when a storm comes, it destroys the house and blows it away. Jesus says, that's what our lives are like. If you don't listen and hear and apply, you're much more like the person who just built a house on the ground. And when the storms of life come against you, you're going to be in trouble. But if you'll listen and do what I say, as you call me Lord, Lord, things will go well for you, even when tough times come. And so Jesus is teaching his, his followers these things. And I would ask you the question, which person are you more like? Do you listen to the teachings of Jesus and do what he says, even when it goes against your natural inclinations? Or do you find yourself more going, I know what I want to do. I'll just do my own thing. Jesus, in fact, gives us some really difficult things in this passage that goes against what we would naturally do. I mean, think about what he said, love your enemies. And then you go, well, how do I do that? And he gives us three ways. Do good to them. Bless the people who curse you. Pray for people who mistreat you. Are we doing that? Then he goes on. Hey, if someone slaps you, turn the other cheek to them and offer that one as well. He continues, don't stand in judgment against others. We probably don't do that, right? None of us judge anybody else, right? 
Sure we don't. Then Jesus says, make sure you pay more attention to the plank in your own eye than the sawdust in your neighbor's eye. Lend to people with no expectation of repayment. Be merciful like God the Father is merciful. But our natural bent is just to do the opposite of those things. We want to take judgment. We want to be critical. We want to look harshly at others. We want to get revenge when somebody hurts us. We do all the things opposite of what Jesus says. Our natural bent would look like holding a mirror up to God's word and not seeing our reflection in it. That's why the Spirit of God has to transform us and change us over and over again to match up and align with the Word of God. In fact, Jesus started his message out by telling his disciples some things that look so countercultural to how we might naturally think. Remember what he said at the beginning? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you'll laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Does any of that sound to you like what we think is the right way to go about life? But in Jesus' kingdom, he says these things are true. And Jesus is telling us that those who know him can be poor and hungry and mistreated and still find joy through their circumstances because of a relationship with him. We're not blessed because we're poor. We're blessed in spite of our poverty. We're not blessed because we're hungry. We're blessed in spite of our hunger. We're not blessed because we're mistreated. We're blessed in spite of being mistreated because our faith and our hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. We're looking for the future good that he's going to bring to us. Everything in this passage has both a now and a what's next component to it. There's the here and now and there's the hereafter. And so when Jesus is talking about these things, we have to ask the question, am I just living for what's here or am I living for what's coming in the hereafter? And he pronounces not just blessings to some people, but woes to others. He says, woe to you who are rich and woe to you who are well fed and woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when people speak well of you. Again, Jesus isn't saying you're in trouble because you're wealthy. He goes, if that's the only thing you're concerned about and you're not looking for me, you're in trouble. He's not saying you're, you're in trouble because you're happy. He's saying if the happiness is the primary pursuit of your life and you're not looking to me, you're in trouble. And so all of the things that we would consider to be good in this world don't bring us what we need. Andy, on Wednesday night in our prayer service, said this, Jesus' presence is our contentment and security in every situation. That's what we're really longing for, is to find contentment and security in Christ, no matter what comes up. And so Jesus says, listen, I want you to understand, if you're making the here and now the most important thing that you have in your life, you're missing the bigger picture, because there's a hereafter that you need to be paying attention to, that you really need to be concerned about. And that makes me think about another story that Jesus tells in Luke in chapter 16. I was talking about this with my kids on the way to school one day this week. Jesus tells a story about two very different men. One guy who has everything in this life and another guy who has nothing. But in the hereafter, it switches for them. So we hear this story about a rich man and then a guy named Lazarus. And I want to read this to you. Luke chapter 16, verse 19 says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, 
covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue because I'm in constant agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from there to us. And he answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And so again, here you've got these two men, one who has everything in this life and gives no thought to the hereafter. And another guy who has nothing in this world but he has a relationship with God. And in the hereafter, the man with nothing is eternally blessed. And the man who made everything in his life about the pursuits of this world finds eternal torment. And he even begs, please send Lazarus back from the dead to my family. Tell them that, that this is a reality if they don't change their ways. And Abraham says, even if I were to do that, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not even going to believe someone raised from the dead. And there's some incredible foreshadowing there because we're going to find at the end of the gospel that Jesus gives his life up. He dies on the cross to pay for our sins. And then he comes back to life to show us that there is a life for us in the hereafter. But many people don't believe. Even though they've heard the story, even people who saw Jesus back from the dead weren't convinced. So Abraham says, listen, even if somebody comes back from the, the dead, it's not going to be enough to change people's mind. We have to believe on faith. And so that leaves us this morning to ask a couple of questions, to ask what are you thinking about? What comes to your mind for your life? I want you to have a great life but not at the expense of eternal life. If you have everything here and now, the Bible says, what good is it if a man gains the whole world, but he forfeits his soul? It's lost to us. I want you to have a good life here and now, but I want you to be more concerned about the hereafter. So no matter what comes up in this lifetime, you build your life on the foundation of Jesus. So there's two questions for us to end with this morning. Number one, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, ask yourself, am I obeying Jesus and following his teachings? Are these things that he tells me in his word, are they being applied to my life? Am I listening and doing, or do I just say that I hear? 
but I'm not putting him to practice. And then the second question, for those of you who may not be a follower of Christ, whether you're here with us this morning or you're watching online, if you're not a follower of Jesus, ask this question, have I ever stopped to give consideration to the hereafter? Have I given any time and consideration that there's a life beyond this one and am I ready for it? And if you're not, would you just make the time today to say, Jesus, I want to change my ways. I want to not just think about here and now. I want to be prepared to be with you forever in the hereafter. I want to spend eternity with you. And the way you do that is you simply repent of your sin, ask Jesus to be your Savior, and then begin to follow him. We would love to have a conversation with you about what that looks like. If you're here in the building this morning, you want to talk to one of us, one of our staff or our elders, we'd love to have that conversation with you. The second way you can do that, if you're watching from home or in the building, there's a connection card in the chairs or online. You'll go to our website and find a tab called Connect. On the Connect tab, there's a connection card. Just fill that out. And there's a box on it that says something along the lines of, I want to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Get that back to us, submit that card to us, and we would love to follow up with you just to talk about what it means to know him and follow him. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.